Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Judy. Hi, my name is Judy. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Judy. Hi. Thank you very much for asking me, Andrea. Thanks for your service and welcome all the newcomers and all that. Uh, I just drove in from Palm Springs. I'm driving back tonight. I live there. And, uh, you know, I am not used to the L.A. traffic. So, uh, so I was trying to uh, make a little bypass at that interchange between the 10 and the 405, you know. So I got off on National and all blah, blah, and I got kind of lost. And all of a sudden I was on motor. And I said, you know, I think I'm passing Roseanne's house. And I had such a wonderful feeling because, uh, you know, I, I started this program in 1974, and I lived in San Pedro, and I was the uh, literature chairman of my meeting, and I used to uh, drive up uh, from San Pedro to Roseanne's house to pick up the literature. And Roseanne, it was in Roseanne's kitchen, and all of her counters were covered with pamphlets and flyers and, you know, announcements, and I'd go and collect all my stuff and take it back down south. And uh, I just felt uh, so grateful and, and privileged to have changed my life and, and, and been involved with, with all this. So I hope that I'll communicate that to you. Uh, my first meetings, I hated people who talked about gratitude. I just hated it. Uh, I was sitting in the back of the room, and I thought my moo-moo was nicer than theirs. And, you know, and they were talking gratitude. And I say, sit down, you know. Uh, you know, I've got real problems. And, uh, and I did, actually. <laughs> But uh, actually, my first sponsor died this summer, and uh, so I've been spending a lot of time thinking about her and, and all she did and gave me, and uh, so I hope I'll, I'll, you know, talk about her somewhat. Uh, you know, I came to this program with a head full of knowledge and a belly full of food, and I, I had an awful lot of psychological insight, and uh, I could stand in front of the fridge and explain to you why I was shoveling this food into my mouth. I had those kind of answers. None of those answers ever helped me stop the behavior. Only you guys helped me stop the behavior. And not by telling me what to do, not with a long skinny finger ordering me, but by your example, by the, by the power of your example. And just, you know, that's what I do. I remember once having a big argument with her that maybe I'll tell you about. But, I, you know, I told her, well, blah, 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 blah. And she said, well, do this. And I said, what? I said, that's fine. She said, oh, why don't you go pray? And uh, I said, you know, that's fine for those rooms, but this is medicine. And she said, well, that's what I would do. And thank God that that's all we give each other is what I do. 
take it or leave it. You want what I have? Do what I do. So um, I remember once early on I told her, you know, I've kind of figured it out, and, and I think that I'm afraid to get thin. And she said, well, why don't you get thin, and then we'll talk about it. <laughs> you know, all, all of these very powerful words of wisdom, you know, that I, oh, duh, you know. I've never thought about it, but I, I was spending so much time talking about my problems and my illness. And, uh, and I think that's probably why I'm still kind of judgmental of people who go on and on. Uh, I was at a party a few weeks ago, and there's a very, very seriously ill person there with a, a great deal of weight to lose and a lot of physical problems around that. And uh, because I knew she was eyeing how I was or wasn't eating, uh, she set forth to the group about what she knew about overeating and what works and yada, yada, yada. And whenever I'm around, and I think you alluded to it, but whenever I'm around that sort of thing, I go, zip. I go way in because I don't want to engage that kind of blah, 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 blah. You know, show me something. Let's get busy together, and then we'll find out more as we're doing it. And, uh, and I think that's really important because um, some of you know that I was a therapist for uh, most of my career. And, uh, you know, I became a therapist to figure out what this was all about and what my problems were. And I was so grateful that this program rarely took me there. You know, I, did, I was in therapy for countless years while I was uh, in my early recovery. And uh, we could look backwards. But in OA, it's all about looking forward. It really doesn't matter how we all got here. You know, we all suffered. We're all damaged. And that's the deal. Now what? You know? So I was shown ways to get on with it. And I, and I hope I'll, I'll share with you some of those. But you helped me navigate my way out of the mess I was in, rather than discuss it. I mean, you have to discuss it, but you know what I mean. And, and also, I know that there are a lot of principles in the program, and a lot of people, you know, spout the principles. But I'm grateful that what was given me was like just the one day at a time. Let's see what comes up today in the process of your abstaining from compulsive overeating. Let's see what presents itself. And having to work through those things, then afterwards, I'd get the lesson about, oh, well, that's the principle of such and such. But to, to talk to me about principles before I have the direct experience of it is all a head trip for me. It just, you know, I just circle around and I get philosophical and I'm existential and so uh, doesn't really help me. But one of the, the greatest principles I learned here was about honesty. And it's just so cool because that's the really first thing I was asked to pay attention to, is to really get honest about what was going on in my plate. What was I doing with food? And to be witnessed by another human being about what that looked like. Because left to my own devices, I decide ice cream is fish. 
<laughs> okay? I work that out somehow, and I, and I do my substitutions, and I count my calories, and ice cream would, could substitute for my fish. Uh, but another human being says something like, well, do you think that's really a good idea? You know? And I, I remember I had one friend who, uh, her sponsor told her, well, why don't you take that piece of pie and put it on a chair and get down and bow down to it? I mean, really show it how much you love it and how much you honor and respect it. Uh, my sponsor never told me that. But, uh, you know, it's just to get clear and honest. And once I had to start getting honest in my plate, it it generalized to all areas of my life. And and I will say today, after all these many years that, uh, in fact, in November, I'll have 44 years on this path. Uh, you know, let's hope I make 44 and a day. You know, um, I don't, it's, anyway, you know. Um, and it basically has involved for me continuous surrender, 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 surrender. It's not a battle. It's not something that I achieve. That's why I kind of have a funny feeling about applauding and, you know, uh, counting days and all that stuff. Because it, it awakens in me the whole competitive nature of stuff. The kind of big loser mentality, you know. And that just hurts me. It hurts me at my core for myself and my other fellow compulsive overeaters. Um, it's a blessing that we, we get what we need to continue on this path. And like I say, it involves rigorous honesty, so I've had to continuously, I still have a sponsor today, I'm constantly checking myself out, you know. Uh, what does it look like from over there? And she'll say, well, it didn't quite smell good over here. And, uh, okay, I need to go back and reevaluate. And I'm going to send this email to somebody. But I read it to her first. And she said, well, you might want to change da-da-da-da-da. And, and what were you uh, really intending over there with that sentence? <laughs> were you giving a little meow, meow? which, of course, I was, but I thought I described, uh, you know, hit it very well. I'm very subtle. And uh, that doesn't get it in this program. If you have somebody who really cares about you, they will be really honest with you about what it smells like from where they're looking and sitting. And I am just so grateful that, you know, because I was a big mouth, I was tough, and uh, I was a, hand a handful. I still am, and smart, and all those things I used in the service of self-destruction. And I found people who handled me gently, well, dear, she always used to say, well, dear, and then I knew I was going to get that, you know, silver fist in the velvet glove, and I was going to have to look at myself. That's all. I mean, that was the damage. Nobody hurt me, but they just constantly turned me back to looking at myself and my own behavior. And, uh, and then, you know, sometimes it would be, well, I don't care. I want to do it that way. And then it would be, that's fine if you want to pay the price and take the consequences for that. 
And I started to find out that the consequences of my bad behavior were I'd have slips with my food because I knew in my heart of hearts that I was out of integrity. And I had to learn that I used food as a punishment, not as a comfort and a reward, which I always thought it was. Initially, for 10 minutes, it seems like a comfort. But then the overall results, like in our big book, it says, see the drink through to the next morning. The overall results was, bam, hit Judy, hit Judy. And uh, so my behavior determines my abstinence. I don't work at my abstinence. I don't achieve it. I try to achieve living a life of integrity. Uh, I often, you know, I'm not a saint either, trust me, but uh, I make a lot of mistakes. I catch them quicker, turn them around faster. But uh, I like to think about, well, I'd like to walk away from that situation and look back and say, hmm, I like how she handled that. You know, I'd like to feel good about how she handled that. And, you know, I was just on a, on a customer service call, uh, I guess it was yesterday, and it was about, like, returning a lamp. I'm all involved in decorating my living room, and yada, yada, and I ordered it on the Internet, and who's going to pay for the FedEx and on the return? And then the guy says, uh, um, well, you know what? I'll, I'll make it work. I'll, I'll pay for the FedEx to pick up the lamp. It's a Jaganda thing. It's a big floor lamp. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll pay for that because you've been such a nice person. <laughs> now, listen, this man doesn't know a thing about me. But I was the queen of haughty bitch, you know, and and I would especially I would especially find poor people at customer service who were trapped at their desk with a headset, and I would take out all my aggression and all my frustration and all my put down and make people feel bad about themselves. I got off on it. You know, I'd even get off the phone and tell somebody, you know what I said, you know what they said, you did, you did. All that kind of hostility I was just spewing throughout the world. And today, uh, I usually am trying to welcome people in with love and compassion, you know, to try to to show people that that, that the main message I got when I first got here was, we know how hard it is. You know, my first meeting was up in the Palace British Library on a Monday morning with a bunch of housewives, and I was a professional, of course, and I weighed 222 pounds. Uh, and I was an expert in alcoholism. I had treated Betty Ford and was a big hot shot with this team of pioneering, you know, whatever. And uh, anyway. What was I saying? Oh, and, you know, so I, I had all these, I'm not like them. I'm not as fat as them. Uh, I'm smarter. Like I say, my mumu was nicer. Um, but the message I got was, honey, we know how hard it is. It wasn't like Weight Watchers, rah, rah, you can do it, look at me. 
It was, whoa. We've gathered here in this library like little gerbils, you know. We're huddled together, and we're facing this, this external difficult task. And we know it's difficult because we've all tried our best. I dieted my way to 222 pounds. That was not willy-nilly offhanded. That was concerted effort to control the monster inside. So, uh, so I began all those years ago on a somewhat haphazard, limping, loping project of commitment to self-care. And I loved the idea of the disease concept. By the way, I love hearing people here talk about food sobriety. I love that term. I think that's a, a, a better way to go in the modern world. But uh, I realized, you know, they told me you have an illness. You're not a bad person trying to get good. You're a sick person trying to get well. And this is the prescription. You have to go to at least one meeting a week. You have to call your sponsor. And we had, I had a food sponsor and a step sponsor. Food sponsor called daily to discuss what I was trying to achieve around my eating. And the other one was for all my chaos and, uh, in my head. And, uh, you know, they were willing to listen to all that. And, uh, by the way, I'm willing to listen to anybody. I'm going away for three months, but if anyone wants to call me after November, I'm going to tell you my phone number. Palm Springs, 760-322-0388. And that's, um, you know, we all need what we need at the moment. And it's so amazing because things pass so quickly. If you just say, you know, they say most obsessions last about 15 minutes. You know, if we could just talk ourselves down in that 15-minute period. I've, I've gone through such chaotic things in, in these years. And I would come to a meeting and share he said, she said, wah. I mean, they, they were hard things, you know. I lost my husband to alcoholism. And uh, uh, I lost this big work project that I was so dedicated to. And it was snatched from me. And I thought I was going to die. And... You know, they said, God doesn't close one door without opening another one. I said, shit. Um, but as it turned out, because of that, uh, I finished writing my Ph.D. dissertation. I wrote a book that became a bestseller, and I became a writer. And I didn't know there was anything like that in me. You know, so there's all these, these lines, you know, this that story about you never know, you know, the guy bought a horse. They say, isn't that wonderful? He says, well, we'll see. You never know. And then his son uh, rode the, bike, the horse. Isn't that great? Your son learned to ride the horse. Well, we'll see. You never know. Then his, his son uh, fell off the horse and broke his leg. And they said, oh my God, isn't that terrible? He broke his leg. Well, we'll see. You never know. And then uh, the military came to take everyone in the village to the army, but not his son because of the broken leg. They said, isn't that lucky? So, you know, you just never know. Uh, you don't have the perspective to know what's in store. I 
every one of my losses I took as major tragedies, and I lived through them that way, and people let me cry. They didn't say, turn it over to God and work with a newcomer. I don't like that stuff. <laughs> because, you know, to take someone who is like, like me, who was crazed with their own stuff, and take them to work with a newcomer, I've seen those people working with newcomers, and it's not pretty. <laughs> you know? I mean, everybody has to do their own work at the time it's presented. And I, I was just writing something the other day that, if we let ourselves live through that moment and experience the loss, then we're available for the next thing that's in store. But the not living the loss keeps us from being available. You know, it kind of stops you in wine mode. So, uh, like that. So, uh, you know, I've kind of described what a little uh, hellion I was. I, I was a consultant to the uh, L.A. County Probation Department out in uh, Los Padrinos Juvenile Hall. And uh, they would send me into this place called the Pit, which was a, a big room that was encased in wire-infused uh, wire glass. So all the probation officers would stand outside it, and they'd throw me into this pit with all these wild, crazy kids. And uh, I would meet them at their own level of violence. You know, I would... Bleh, bleh, and uh, they would listen, and, and things happened. And uh, then I would come out of, uh, out of the, uh, the pit... And they'd walk me to the doors, and they had these big keys that clanged, and and they'd let me out of the place, and bam, that door would close. And I would say, I'm just going to go to a liquor store to have a Diet Pepsi on my way home. And on the way home, I would have bags full of stuff. And I'd binge in the car all the way home, and I'd binge through the night, and I, the next morning I would swear off and start that same process again. And uh, four days before Thanksgiving in 1974, it stopped. Um, I was terrified what to do about that high holy day of the year, and uh, my sponsor, I woke up that morning crying, and my sponsor said, why don't you go in a little room and write? You know, just, what? But uh, I followed direction, and I saw a uh, kind of an image came to me of when I had been five years old in Frankfurt, Germany. My dad was in the Army, and I lived in Germany twice. And uh, there were still a lot of bombed-out buildings in, in Frankfurt, and... Uh, the image was of me, and I was very neglected as a child. They let me kind of go my own way. And uh, so I'm walking down this street full of rubble and bound, you know, bombed-out buildings. And uh, I was a bombed-out building. And uh, I looked down at the cracked sidewalk, and I sort of, while I was writing in this room, I got this message that just said, stay on the path. Just look straight ahead and stay on the path. And I said, That's, that must be the higher power they're talking about. You know? So, um, I've had a sense of that sort of thing 
throughout my recovery. I don't really believe in God, but I do pray, you know. I, I ask for help. I ask for guidance. And I don't know what I'm praying to, and it doesn't really matter because I love the line that says, prayer doesn't change God. It changes the prayer. It's in the act of my humbly saying, I don't have a clue. I don't know how to handle this. I am at my wit's end. I am in the, uh, in the corner, and my machine gun is out of bullets. So I surrender, dear. And that is such an important part of this program. So, you know, people who are like, uh, you know, here I go, I'm a little judgmental still. <laughs> but, you know, people who are bragging about what they're accomplishing, they think they know it and they have it and they got it wired. And maybe it's a certain stage in recovery. I don't know. But I was lucky that I was already a very successful therapist when I got here. So I knew the failure of that sort of thinking, in my case anyway. So uh, I always kept a very low profile in OA. I didn't like to talk about my work or let anyone know about, you know, because I felt that they would think I should be smarter than I was. And I didn't want to be smart here. I wanted to be a schlubber. I wanted to sit in the back of the room and drool. This was my place to let it all go. All that ego, all that performance, all that competition. Just show up around other gerbils and we'll huddle together and we'll feel each other's energy. You know, you're so lucky to have OA here you know, I come every year to the birthday party because I just love to absorb all of the Los Angeles OA. And I even recommend it for the tape. I recommend it for people all over the world. I remember last year I, I got this poor gal that was calling me from Hawaii. I got her to come here for the, for the birthday party. She had nowhere to stay. She didn't care. She just did it, and it all worked out. And she, you know, she got taken care of. So, I recommend it to you, but you're not going to stay with me. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, you know, things happen. So, um, so I guess I want to say that, you know, the greatest line, not the greatest, there's so many great lines in our program, but we ceased fighting everything and everyone. And I, you know, that, that's very big. Because my whole identity was around being a survivor and a fighter, you know. And I didn't know any other tools. I didn't know how to compliment people. I didn't know how to talk in polite company without bragging about my street gang days or my running with pimps or all the horrific early life I'd led, you know, to kind of scare people away. And uh, I'm now writing a book about some of that, and, it, you know, my writing uh, group, they're kind of scared reading it, you know. They said, oh, actually, I just want to tell you one thing that was very painful for me, but uh, one of the stories I wanted to present to the storyteller group to tell this story 
And the guy in charge said, this is bullshit. I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, your life reads like a film noir novel. And I actually thought, well, that's kind of cool, you know. <laughs> but uh, they rejected my story because they didn't, they saw me as how I look today and who I am today. They didn't believe that I had lived like that. And that's, we're all such miracles here, major changes, that we came in as this and we go out as that. Uh, amazing. And, uh, uh, about 25 years ago, I, I met the man that I still live with, and a very upstanding, straight person, a veterinarian, who raised five kids and sent them to college, all the suburbs, you know, the wood-covered station wagon. I mean, you know, that's where he's from. And, you know, thank whomever. Uh, I'm so happy that uh, we're together, and, and, and he... Being accepted by him and welcomed by him into his kind of life. I mean, I don't want to make him the whole thing, but this program kept helping me cease fighting everything and everyone and becoming more available to decent human beings. I mean, I was always dating men I wouldn't take out in public, you know? And here I am partnered with a quite decent fellow. And... Uh, that's cool, you know. Uh, my sponsor also taught me a lot about boundaries. And, uh, you know, I eventually had to get to Al-Anon, too, because, you know. <laughs> and, and it is the graduate program of this. It is really graduate school. It's really very wonderful to learn about respect for yourself and for others and, and how to act decently. Uh, but I remember, you know, I would call her in the midst of my chaotic life, and I would have something to tell her, and I'd start, and she'd say, Dear, I'm having my lunch right now. Would you mind calling back in 20 minutes? What? I mean, didn't she know what it took for me, me? Didn't she know who I am to call her in the first place? And then call back in 20 minutes? But I said, okay. And I called back in 20 minutes, and then she was available. So that now when people call me in the middle of my lunch, I can say, with love, you know, I'll, I can talk to you in 10 minutes, okay? No harm, no foul. If the person really wants the program like I did, they're going to call back. You know, I said to my sponsor once, how come you and I work through so much of this and a lot of people don't? You know, I was watching everyone else. This one's dishonest. That one's sleeping with newcomers. Whatever it was. <laughs> Excuse me, newcomers. That never happened. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, there was stuff I had to judge, don't you know? And, uh, and I would say, well, what? How come they get away with that? And they don't have to do that. And blah, blah, blah. And I have to do this. And I have to write all the time. And she'd say, well, one is, she said, you and I have a, a, lower, a higher th pain threshold. We just can't tolerate as much as these other folks do. And, uh, and the reason you have to do the work is because you want the results. You don't have to do the work. Up to you. You know? So, um... 
uh, I don't, you know, I don't want to talk anymore. I, I made a few little things. Did I leave out anything important? Oh, one thing I want to tell you is remember, you can only control your hair, but you need a great stylus and fabulous products. <laughs> so, uh, I am going to stop now and hope that there's time for questions. Thank you.